0: So tonight, we are gathered together to celebrate a holiday that Christians have been commemorating for centuries, a time in which we look at the final moments of Jesus' life, the events of his trial, his execution on a cross, the ways in which he was betrayed by those he loved, handed over uh, to by his, the leaders of his own people. To be set up, to be spat upon, to be tortured, and to be executed. And we call this holiday Good Friday. Now, for those of us who are Christians in the room, uh, it might not strike us just how bizarre that is. But for those outside the church, that is really strange that we would call this day Good Friday. And I want us to think about that for a moment and to really wrestle with what is so good about Good Friday. And here's what I mean. When I was a student at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, I was there at the time when the film The Passion of the Christ came out, the movie by Mel Gibson. This movie, which rightly has an R rating because of the amount of violence, blood, and gore that is found in that film. And being somebody who was a religious studies major, our entire department was just a buzz about this movie. Uh, we were constantly talking about it, debating about it. And I remember one time we went into one of my classes, and uh, the subject naturally came up. And it was as, that, uh, as we started talking about that movie that the professor from the front of the class just went off. And he went off not just about the movie, The Passion of the Christ, he went off about Christianity because he said, this is what is wrong with the Christian faith. At the center of its belief system is an abusive father who hands over his son to be an unwilling victim. And you guys call it good. He was offended and he was angry because what he saw in this story was how the very, very worst human characteristics are held up as something that's praiseworthy. He said, I don't see how there could be anything good about Good Friday. And I want us to wrestle with that For a moment, because as he looked at the events that we're recounting tonight, that's what he saw. And I want to ask the question was he right? Is that true? Is what held Jesus to the cross the anger of his father? And to answer that question, we have to turn to one of the earliest biographies that was ever written about Jesus. It was written by somebody who knew him, who was there at the events, who beheld what took place as an eyewitness, and that is indeed the Gospel of John. And what we need to see in John's Gospel is although we read John chapter 19 just a few moments ago, the the passion story really begins several chapters earlier in John chapter 13. It's in John chapter 13 that, that Jesus has now come to Jerusalem for the very last time. He's ridden into the city uh, to the shouts of praise from his disciples. But John writes in John 13 these words. He says that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, what John is saying is he's saying that the only way that you will make sense of all the events that are that are I'm about to recount, the only way that you can make sense of Jesus' trial and execution is to understand that it was his love that motivated him. That it was his love from beginning to end. And what's so amazing is as you move through the story, as you look at the events, when we start to look at it through the lens of love, we see just how far Jesus' love was willing to take him. I mean, consider this. He carried the instrument of his own execution on his back. John 19, 17, he says, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, Jesus was willing to bear that weight to the very place of his death. And that even as they nailed the nails into his hands, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as he hung suspended between heaven and earth, he turned to a repentant thief who was hanging next to him and said, don't be afraid. Today you will be with me in paradise that it was as he breathed his last breath, he looked down with eyes of love on the one disciple who remained and on his mother. And in one final act of love, entrusted her to his disciples' care, saying, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And when the final moment came, And just before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. What John says is he says that what held Jesus to the cross was not the anger of his father. What held him to the cross was his love. His love for you and for me. It was his love that motivated him. I mean, consider consider this for a moment, uh, lest we doubt it. Think about this. If what we believe is true, that Jesus Christ was God-made man, then that means that he's the very God who with a word spoke galaxies into existence. Do you really think that he would have been an unwilling victim? That if he did not want to face this, that he would have simply laid there and taken it? I mean, with a word, with a look, with the slightest flex of a muscle, he could have returned all of his enemies to dust. He could have unraveled the very fabric of the wicked world in which he was so unjustly put on trial. And yet, instead, he opened his hands to receive the nails for those who put him there. It was his love that held him on that cross. Nothing else. And what's so incredible, and what we have to understand, is that that was actually his plan from the very beginning. There's this moment when Jesus was standing before the Roman governor Pilate. And Pilate was talking to him and trying to get Jesus to interact with him. And Pilate even says, don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus says, this, the only reason I'm here is because my power dictates it. The only reason you can do what you're about to do is because I've allowed it. Jesus is saying, this was my plan from the very beginning. And in fact, if you go back and you look at Jesus' life and ministry through the eyes of John, this is something he affirms again and again and again. That it was during his ministry, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That in the upper room as Jesus set a table for his disciples and washed their feet, this is what John says. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his disciples drew swords to try and defend them, to stop the soldiers from arresting Jesus, it was Jesus who stopped his disciples with the words, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? From beginning to end, from the very foundation of the world, this was Jesus' plan and his intent. That's what we believe makes me think of something that I read uh, several years ago. Uh, the, I was, uh, actually, I had an opportunity to read um, Paradise Lost by the great uh, English writer and poet John Milton. And for those who haven't read Paradise Lost, it's this beautiful epic poem. It's probably one of the greatest works of English literature ever written. And in this poem, what Milton imagines, what he envisions, is the moment when God created the heavens and the earth, And it recounts the story of God fashioning everything and and making human beings in his image and the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, the temptation that came from the hands of the devil and their failure and their fall from grace, paradise lost. And there's this moment in uh, the poem when the archangels actually see the devil sneak into the garden. And they come running into the throne room of God and they say, Lord, the rebel has entered into the garden. And they begin to talk about the ways in which he will threaten and undo everything. And it's in that moment that the father looks at them and he says, you're right. He will succeed. Humanity will fail the test. In their pride and in their vanity, they will rebel and they will turn their backs on me. And the angels just begin to weep and cry and to ask, what can be done? And here's what the father says. He says, man with his whole posterity must die. Die he or justice must. Unless for him some other able and as willing pay the rigid satisfaction death for death. Say, heavenly powers, where shall we find such love? Which of ye will be mortal to redeem man's mortal crime and just the unjust to save? What God the Father says is, he says, will anyone pay the price? Will anyone here in all of heaven take their place? Will anyone pay what justice demands for their wickedness and their rebellion? For their vanity and their pride, is anyone in all of heaven willing to go down? And Milton records the scene. The father asks, but all the heavenly choir stood mute, and silence was in heaven. On man's behalf, patron or intercession, none appeared. No one spoke up. No one was willing to go. No one was willing to pay the price until the son stood up and answered. And here's what the son says. Father, thy word is past. Man shall find grace. Behold me then, me for him, life for life I offer. On me let thine anger fall. Account me, man. I for his sake will leave thy bosom and this glory next to thee freely put off and for him lastly die well-pleased. On me let death wreck all his rage. Under his gloomy power I shall not long lie vanquished. Thou hast given me to possess life in myself forever. By thee I live, though now to death I yield, and am his due all of me that can die. Yet that debt paid Thou wilt not leave me in the loathsome grave his prey, nor suffer my unspotted soul forever with corruption there to dwell. But I shall rise victorious and subdue my vanquished, spoiled of his his vaunted spoil. In a moment when no one else in heaven answers the Father's plea, the Son stands up and he says, Here I am, send me. I will go. I will pay it. I will leave throne and glory to be born in dust and dirt. I will leave comfort and bliss and enter into pain and persecution. And I will do it all for those whom you love." And it's in that moment that the father bursts into song and at the heart of his praise, he says this, so heavenly love shall outdo hellish hate, giving to death and dying to redeem. I think John Milton understood something that we forget. And that was how deep the father's love is for us how far the son was willing to go to claim us as his own. That before time began, he knew everything. He knew the ways that we would fail. He knew the pride that would lead us to rebellion. He knew the ways in which we would turn our back on God and twist his beautiful world, trying to shape it in our image rather than his. He knew the ways in which we would enact injustice against one another to pursue our own, self-centered, uh, our own self-centered ends. He knew all the ways in which we would try to fashion crowns for ourselves, crowns which would so easily crumble to dust, only to pick up another one. And yet, in the face of it all, he says, I will go. I will go because I love them because my Father loves them. I will abandon it all to rush into the darkness in order to bring light. To chase down the rebellious and set them free. To submit to death in order to give them life. And the reason that we call Good Friday good is because it's in that moment we can look at him and behold the height and depth and breadth of his love. It's what the Apostle Paul writes when he says, this is how we know that God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in a world of brokenness, a world of darkness and sin, where it feels like, it is all so overwhelming. This is what we desperately need to see, that it's even out of this most horrible of circumstances God can bring the greatest of blessings. That it's in these darkest of moments that God can bring light and life. That he can take the greatest miscarriage of justice, that the only truly innocent human being in all of history would be betrayed, tortured, and executed, and from that, give hope, forgiveness, and grace to those who don't deserve it. That's the depth of his love. That's how far he was willing to go for us. He was willing to pay what we deserved in order to give us what we couldn't have possibly earned. The love, forgiveness, and hope of heaven. We need this story. We need to see it again and again and again because we need to know that even in the darkness, God's love moves forward one step at a time. That his arms are open wide even to embrace a cross. That he extends his hands even to receive nails in order to welcome us as his own, as his children, as his beloved. That's what's so good about Good Friday. Because it speaks to the reckless love of our God. To the ways in the face of the impossible, he opens a way forward to forgiveness and new life. At the heart of this day is the greatest goodness we could ever receive. A goodness which is freely given because he was willing to pay it all. And it's for that reason that we can truly come into Good Friday and we can say with the hymn writer, What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing his love for me. And through eternity, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. On this Good Friday, we once more behold that love of God for us. For you, for me, and for the world. The love which was there before time began, the love which will endure into eternity the love which is given to us here and now through the reckless love of the God who became man. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do indeed give you thanks that your reckless love moved you to this moment. That knowing everything, you came anyways. You were no unwilling victim but it was the depth of your grace that caused you to leave the glories of heaven to come here for us. Lord, may that truth give us hope. May that light pierce our darkness. May that life reassure us that you have swallowed up death and that you have the victory. It's in your name that we say praise be to Jesus. Amen.